0: Australia,
1: Quay Cooper, four. The win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's gone. Cooper is the man.
0: Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're die-hard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Welcome to our Rugby World Cup edition. I am your host for this evening, Ando. With me is my regular weekly compatriot,
1: Mitch Foster. How are you, mate? Very good, very good. Uh got a World Cup to talk about, so it's a very exciting time as a rugby fan to be talking about the World Cup. Probably not the result that we were hoping for for the Wallaroos, and they did put in a great performance. So very much looking forward to chatting through that a little bit later. But um, Very, very yeah. keen.
0: Very, very keen. So tonight we're doing something a bit special for you. We... I mean, if you're watching this in person, you would know this is a video format. So we are going to be putting out for the Rugby World Cup a video each week where we talk through and go through the results from the weekend and uh, basically give our analysis and commentary upon that. Now, for those of you who are podcast regulars, we will continue with our regular segments like the locker room, as well as talk about other elements of the game, maybe some spicy news. Tonight, we'll be looking at the Australia A versus Japan 15 match. Uh, That will continue as an audio-only segment but the Wallaroos and World Cup chat will always be in the video segment. So you can catch it on YouTube will be the main platform is hosted on, and we'll share it on all of our socials on that point, Mitch, if people want to find us, where can they find us? All
1: right. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter and we're on Instagram. So do give us a like uh, and a follow on all those uh, platforms. Just search for pick and drive rugby podcast and you shouldn't have too much issue finding us. Awesome
0: and if you like what we do thank you so much to the legends who have been donating on ko-fi.com ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby we do what we do for love not money but every little bit counts so thank you for all of those who have supported the pod now tonight we are going to be going through like we said the walrus review from the weekend and a world cup chat from the first two games of matches before first two days of matches before we then go through the Australia A versus Japan 15 review and the locker room so right now let's jump into the walrus and world cup review let's go Now we jump into the video segment, the first time that we're going through the Wallaroos and World Cup chat. Now, how good were the Wallaroos on Saturday night? It was such an exciting start and first half to the game. I don't think anybody would have expected us to be out 17-0 after the first, what, 20 or so minutes. How good was that start, Mitch?
1: Oh, it was it was incredible. The the Wallaroos had talked about how they had taken so many learnings from playing the Black Ferns earlier this year and how they had, you know, really taken a lot of uh, encouragement from those, from particularly that last game. Um, and that's what mm. M Chancellor said a few weeks ago, when we spoke to her, that there was a lot of belief that they could hopefully get close and get that, that first elusive win over the Black Ferns. And for a while there, it was looking like that might be the case. And yep. uh, it was unfortunate and we will talk about it a little bit later, but those two yellow cards really did take the wind out of the sails of the, the Wallaroos and, it just allowed the Black Ferns too much space. And with wingers like they have... you? Uh, oh, just- Woodman
0: was so good. Um, yeah. yeah, getting the hat trick. Really, really well-deserved. Uh, look, I think that what we saw was just a, a, a Wallaroos team that was full of enthusiasm, full of... Oh, look, I don't want to go over the top, but in a way it's bravery. Just a willingness to... Um, play with endeavour and Physicality so the forwards Were having such a dominant impact within the first 30-35 minutes of the game Grace Hamilton looked like she'd taken some Angry pills and was just making metres On every single one of her runs um, But then with Like that Arabella McKenzie quick tap and then Spreading it wide for the try to Tarita was just absolutely Absolutely amazing um, And for her, for Tarita to get What two tries in a first World Cup appearance its her second Game for the Wallaroos, I believe. Yep, and she's already scored three tries in two games. Like she's a superstar in the making. Not the, not there yet, unless she can just keep on scoring tries every match. That'll be, that'll be wonderful. Thank you. But there were so many good news stories within that first kind of thirty-five minutes, and then, and then things started to turn as we knew they would.
1: Well, I guess we'll, we'll talk about the the Wallaroo's game in specifics in just a little bit. But we first need to mention how great it is to finally have the World Cup, the Rugby World Cup 2021. It was meant to be played. COVID showed up and caused a bit of a shamble for the women's game, unfortunately. For a lot mm. of time, it looked like this World Cup was just going to be panned and wasn't going to eventuate. And we've now got all 12 teams in New Zealand. It's finally kicked off over the weekend. We've had two action-packed days of the best and the highest quality of women's rugby, some fantastic games both on both days. Um, yep, the Eden Park was sold out for the Wallaroos and Black Ferns last night, so that was just a fantastic achievement in of itself to see that there is that support for the women's game. Um, and yeah, just it's so exciting to finally have this competition underway, and we we will talk about the other games as well. Um, but yeah, just wanted to briefly say. Uh, how good it is to have this competition up and running. And I've um, as I did say a few weeks ago on the pod, I I have put my money where my mouth is and I've I've purchased the Wallaroos indigenous jersey. So yeah, good I'll on have you. to try and get M um, chance or some one of those play Wallaroos Wallabies Walla Waratars, <laughs> women's team players to get a, a signature on one of these on this jersey in the next few weeks.
0: That'll be brilliant, mate. Well, one of the great parts about the World Cup is how you've got so many different teams with different styles. And we saw that across the opening weekend of the World Cup with some really, really entertaining matches where a few of the minnows, and probably Australia should be included within that because the women are still uh, not being paid as full-time professionals at the moment as rugby players, uh, were able to really take the game to their more fancied full-time professional opponents. And um, it was only kind of within a second half of the last, stages of the matches that the uh the the more heavyweight teams are able to pull away with the game but just continuing on with the walrus versus black ferns match i mean coming into the game you've got new zealand who's uh, the world ranking is uh, coming second and the walrus are seventh uh the last however the walrus have never beaten the black ferns at all and yet we had three tries to nil to take us out to a 17 nil point lead before the Black Ferns were able to start pulling it away, what do you think it was about the way in which the Wallaroos approached the, approached the game in the first half that gave them such an opportunity to take the game to the Black Ferns?
1: Um, as much as we've sort of we've spoken about the the teams that have played this year, so the Wallaroos teams that have played the news, the, the the Black Ferns a few times, I think there were some inclusions in this team this week that really personnel that came in that really lifted the players. And Shani Williams is one of those players. Mm-hmm. Her input coming across from the seven series, we we know how good she has been in the sevens game. We were ex- hoping that she would have a good impact uh, on the Wallaroos, but I don't think it can be overstated how much of an impact she had. Her yep. The first probably three or four touches of the ball that she got, she made at least 10, 15 meters in contact. And she was consistently getting over the game line. And it, it, even, like, not just her getting the ball and, and trucking it up and, and making those meters, but she was also, like, getting the players around her into position and, and putting in big hits in defense. And you could really see that we, it's a pretty inexperienced Wallaroos backline that we currently have to select from. And you can understand why with the COVID situation and the amount of games that they have been able to play. Having a player like Shani Williams, her experience and her just rugby knowledge and nowts, um really lifted the plays around her, and she she yeah. I think she was really instrumental in in getting that early lead.
0: Yeah, with that point, the, the early lead and the early nature of the Walrus, uh, I won't say dominance, but the physicality they were able to bring and then capitalising, particularly with the Yavania long try on the Black Ferns' mistakes. I think partly it came down to great play and seizing the opportunities that came before them, but also there were uncharacteristic errors from the Black Ferns. Um, some of it was wallaroos pressure with heavy hits in defense and defence um, and what a scramble and basically placing a pressure back onto the Black Ferns. But I think some of it, they were a little bit overawed with the occasion. Yeah. And there were really uncharacteristic handling errors, which you just don't expect to see from the Black Ferns. That meant that the first half possession stats were 63 to 37 in favour of the Wallaroos. And I know I remember within the match that within the first 20 minutes, it was approximately 80-20 in favour of the Wallaroos just for possession. I'm yeah, sure I
1: think territory there was a would have been the same. There's a stat that came up uh, just before halftime time that the Black Ferns had made something like 64 or 65 tackles and the Wallaroos had made six or something like Mm. that just goes to show the amount of possession the Wallaroos had had and how long New Zealand had been defending for And, and and as you touched on and expanding on that point around the the pressure of Eden Park like a full sold out Eden Park and People are saying it was sold out, and there was quite a few empty no, seats. No, it
0: was sold out for the day. So
1: what that means the is the tickets for the whole day were sold, but people okay. obviously might have
0: just come to see yeah. either of the two earlier matches. And... So for the venue was sold out.
1: Cool. No, thanks for clarifying that because I have seen some people yep. comment online around, yep. you know, the whole sold no, no, out.
0: No. Venue was sold out. Yeah, venue. great,
1: great, great. Cool. Uh, but. It was awesome to see that the Black Ferns or New Zealand Rugby had handed out, and I, I don't know what they're called, but they're, those, they're like these little white um, pom-poms on strings. It, it's, okay. it must be some sort of indigenous uh, Maori uh, black fern thing that they, they do over there. But every time they scored a try, and it wasn't until right on half time when they actually scored that first try, that the crowd had actually got, got up and got into it. And you could, it was white all around the stadium as they were swinging these yep. pom-poms around. Yep uh that isn't that's an or, that's like an intimidating aspect regardless of the fact that you're playing your first game of a world cup you've got that mm. many people watching you play and i think that was a massive indicator early on the pressure that the black ferns were feeling and not being on that level before not having that many people cheering them on and, and um you know there to support them And as everyone wanted to see them do well, it really did, I think, get into their heads a little bit. And then we did see those uncharacteristic mistakes being made.
0: But then as the second half rolled around, the class and the quality of this New Zealand outfit definitely started to shine through. Uh, And he had key players. I mean, like, we can't go past Portia Woodman's involvement from 15. Ruth Tui was also absolutely menacing every single time she got the ball. Didn't get the exact same payoffs, but 133 metres run, topping the charts for that stat. She was just immense. Um, There were some really, really good performances. So I guess let's start with uh, what changed in the second half and then we're going to jump into which players stood out. So what changed? Is it too easy to simply say fitness?
1: I think it's too easy to say that the yellow cards really affected the Wallaroos and and no disrespect at all to the way the game was officiated. And that's something I think we've seen across the first, well, both days of this opening Mm. weekend of the tournament, that the refereeing display has been great. We're not coming on finally and saying like the referees have made the wrong decision. It's so refreshing. The games flowed, the rugby did the talking. It was not about the referees and it was fantastic to see that. Uh, But the yellow cards, I think really two yellow cards in the space of 15 seconds, uh, two players down that really gave the, the wingers for the black ferns just the opportunity to roam and to do what they, they can do so well. They both have sevens backgrounds they took advantage of that 10 minutes perfectly. And I I do think if the Walleries hadn't got those yellow cards, they're probably able to hold with the Black Ferns and we're not seeing the score blow out as much. Don't necessarily think the Black Ferns don't win the game, but it is a big indication in saying that, you know, at at the top level at a World Cup, when you go down two players, you're playing 13 against 15. It is a big ask to be able to stick with a team like the Black Ferns. 100%.
0: 100%. And let's just really briefly touch on that. So Alana Ferguson has uh, basically put on the officials just in question a little bit asking. Um, so Shannon Parry, um, actually, no, let's go Ivania Wong. Ivania Wong is given a yellow card for knocking a ball down, potentially disrupting an um, attacking opportunity. Yep. So it gets yellow carded for that. And then whilst they're um, kind of doing that officiating deliberation, the TMO rightly so rightly so says hi you need to check out this high shot from uh gold seven so shannon parry and she had um been too upright in tackle and then collected the black ferns player in the head with her shoulder it was a passive kind of like soaking tackle but it was still shot at a head and with the way the game's officiated fair enough it was a yellow card not an issue um alana has said well if shannon parry's yellow card came prior to Ivania wong's indiscretion and wong's um tap down was not an active foul play really um then shouldn't should both yellow cards stand or shouldn't wongs get cancelled out considering that shannon parry's was prior to it what's your really quick like 10 second take on that
1: uh i think uh, intentional knockdown an intentional act of killing the ball is considered foul play so if you're making an action that's intentionally stopping the play particularly in an attacking situation that's foul play Uh, a slap down uh uh, you know, kicking the ball away when the, the opposition is trying to take the, the tap quickly—those sort of things—it's considered foul play. So, in the if we're looking at both situations, we're looking at two instances of foul play. We're not looking at an offside. We're not looking at a tackle and not rolling away—those uh, sorts of things. If it was a, a, if it was a penalty or a yellow card given for repeated infringements, that's a different situation. Uh, I I don't think the referee does give the yellow card in that instance, but the fact is it it was an act of foul play. It stopped a a scoring opportunity, not a certain opportunity of a try being scored, but it did limit Black Ferns from continuing that attacking uh, attacking play. So yeah, I I think the right decision was made and I, I don't think we have much that we can say that we can go back and it, it, it is tricky and people are saying that because one was after the other then the, other, mm. the earlier one should cancel out the later one but they're both instances of foul play it's the same as if um a foul, bit of foul play gets unseen and play plays on and someone comes in and does a head high tackle afterwards you don't not give the yellow card for the head high tackle that was later than the initial head contact you give both and that's what we saw sure
0: that was good Long long 10 seconds, but either way, you've been comprehensive in looking at it, so thank you, my friend. Um, so in, in addition to the obvious yellow cards and the impact they had with the um, Black Ferns being able to run in a couple of tries because of their two-person uh, advantage, there was also the the reality that the accuracy of the Walleries dipped significantly in terms of the defensive effort in the second half. I mean, we uh, gave away more penalties, 32 tackles missed compared to 12. Our tackle success percentage was 71%. Um, it was really a poor second half performance despite the excitement and the bravery that was shown without a shadow of a doubt in the first half. So I guess let's let's touch on some of the players that stood out across both, both teams. Uh, one person that I really just want to start with, you've already mentioned Shani Williams. I thought Emily Chancellor probably had her best game in the green and gold that she's ever had. She was immense across the time that she was in the field before getting replaced by Grace Kemp. So um, um, she was she was a really welcome figure both in attack and defence. Excellent runs, massive hits on D. Top top performance from Emily Chancel.
1: Yeah, and she saved that certain try uh, late in the second half when she yep. came through and uh, put a tackle on Woodman or, or um, I can't remember who it was that she tackled, but yeah, it, causing her to knock it on. And just the the involvement that she had across the game, you could really tell that she was that sort of talismanic player, and she was up for the occasion. And it was great to see mm-hmm. her performance. Yeah, definitely. And a player
0: that I do want to shout out as well is Atasi Lafay as well, one of the locks. Um, She made 19 tackles, only missing one across the entirety of the match. So she was just an absolute menace in the engine room. And uh, pod pod favourite, friend of the pod, Sarah Nagama, also getting a run on start for the World Cup. She was excellent as well. Some of my concerns that I'd raised about maybe whether or not she had the kind of same level of physicality as some of the other locking options, um, because she does state that she prefers herself as a bit more of a mobile lock. Um, She was excellent within the game, both in terms of clear outs, using a bit of footwork before the contact to give herself uh, soft shoulders to be working through. Really, really good game. Uh, But I guess just on on the whole, the Walleries didn't have the impact from the bench that they would have wanted uh, in terms of accuracy and energy. And also overall for the players that played the full game, they just didn't have the fitness to be able to last the Black Ferns the whole match, which is why you saw that uh, intensity and accuracy drop off towards the end. Yep. Yep, Yep, brilliant. Well, I guess where to from here against Scotland? Um, Why don't we pause... Well, actually, yeah, let's, let's go through the results from the weekend and we'll come to that question about Scotland moving yep. forward, okay? Because we, I, w- I want to talk through the Wales-Scotland result from today. I'll, um, but, I'll
1: quickly run through the scores yeah, go and for it. then we'll have a quick chat about each one as we go. So the first yep. game of the competition saw France get a well and dominant performance against South Africa, taking away the victory 40-5. to uh, The second game of the tournament, Fiji playing their first game at a Rugby World Cup ever, which was fantastic to see uh, up against... The reigning, uh, it's the Rayburn Shield is the Rayburn Shield, the men's one. The Utrecht, Utrecht shield. shield is the women's one. So the yep. reigning Utrecht Shield holders, uh, England, eighty-four nineteen to England that one, and then we saw the Wallaroos in New Zealand, forty-one uh, seventeen. Back going back a little bit, the South Africa fr- France game. What were your thoughts around this one, Andrew?
0: Mate, this was such an incredible opening to the competition. It was a wonderful game. Um, France got away to a really quick three-try lead based upon um, some of their attacking prowess, but also the first try to Sensu was an absolute joke. Um, the South Africans were, that they committed <laughs> way too many people to the a defensive mall and they were just overly enthusiastic, didn't offend uh, the blind side. And yeah, she just strolled over for a try. Easy as you it's like. It's a
1: bit of a trend that we kind of saw in, in both games, actually, the first and the second one. There was a similar try yep. scored by England in the second game where yeah, it's correct. that that rugby knowledge and that ability to be aware on the rugby field of what's happening and where the holes are that Mm -hmm. both france and england which understandably they play in a women's six nations tournament and they have for a few years now so they are getting a lot more game time than both fiji and south africa but there was a few defensive lapses where like we just said there's either a scrum or a maul uh or just even a ruck right on the try line and the winger is either committed to the breakdown or committed <laughs> to the mall and yep. they go across un- untouched so
0: exactly so look um I've got a few things written down. Um, basically, this is the South African forward power, the, the power of their pack and their runners was really kind of the dominant theme of after those initial that initial French barrage for the first kind of 15, 20 minutes, up until then, the 67th minute, really it was South Africa that a lot of points was not I won't say they were dictating the game, because I mean there were still three tries behind. Um, but they were without a shadow of a doubt unsettling the french and putting a lot of pressure onto them and they had some really dominant carriers like Sinazo, mccachuli i try my best with the names i haven't heard them enough to have memorized them and um who was their number seven and then a Hele, the number eight was incredible um Hele was the top uh run meters uh t- carry meters of 96 the next closest with the French winger Boulard on 74 so for a number eight to be dominant in carry meters over a winger is just immense within the game and it really was the French pack in some ways getting bullied by the South Africans for a large portion until the French just sprang away with it um the last thing I'll quickly say is that Sanzu the scrum half she she basically looked like in a 67th minute she was just done with everybody else in her team not <laughs> not like doing what needed to be done and so she just took a couple of quick taps and just barged over from up from really close uh, to the trial line and then got up with an angry look on her face and just walked away just being like that's how you do it come on we should <clears> be so much further ahead i loved it
1: <laughs> yeah that french flair that french uh that french passion
0: yeah, the Elan, the Elan, the spirit, of the attacking spirit of the French.
1: All right. Well, uh, moving across to the results earlier today. So Sunday, the 9th of October, day two of the tournament, we had USA play Italy. Uh, Italy gets the win there, 22 to 10. We then had Japan take on Canada. Uh, 41-5 is the final score in that one. And then this afternoon, we had Wales and Scotland with a very tight game and a nail-biting finish, 18-15 to Wales.
0: All right. On those points, um, you had the USA Italy game is great to go back and watch. If you don't have time to watch the full match, then I highly recommend the Stan Sport mini that they had. Some really really impressive tries. The Italian backline was just their their speed and the pace in which they were able to engage the wide uh, American defence and just cut around some forwards that maybe found themselves out on a wing trying to take or out on the wide channels trying to take a bit of a breather was impressive. (laughs) I didn't get to catch any of the Japan. versus Canada match, but my God, the Wales-Scotland game was attritional. These were two teams who um, Wales were probably not playing at their best. Scotland stepped up and it was an attritional game that was locked at 15-15 with Scotland scoring in the 79th minute to make it 15-15 and then missing the conversion uh, before Wales were able to uh, bash, the regather the kickoff, bash their way up the middle of the park, earn a penalty for Scotland being offside and then kick the clutch um Yeah. Conversion or clutch penalty in the 85th minute to win the game. Um, it was, it was really, really exciting and it makes me very much look forward to the match against Scotland next weekend.
1: It makes me feel a bit nervous, but we'll, um, we'll get to that, to that briefly. Uh, what, what was the, were there any takeaways from any of these games that that you wanted to touch on before we sort of look forward to next weekend? Yeah,
0: look, I'm just going to quickly—if you don't mind—jumping back just to the Fiji England match, just so people have the score up. Okay, so without a doubt, this was a dominant England win: 14 tries to three, 84 to 19. Cordy McDonald getting four tries. Like, yeah, okay, England dominated this game. But again, it was kind of within the second half that they just ran away. When Fijis, uh, um, is this still Fijiana? Is that still the name for the Fijiana um, team? Because yeah, I know we used to call I think it the it Fijiana. Is. Yeah, Fijiana
1: and the I think Fijiana team. is the the name for the women's team, sort of like yeah, the Wallaroos is Australia, but it's a World Cup, yeah, so they're great. representing Fiji. Wonderful. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, so either way,
0: Fiji or Fijiana, their wide defense became non-existent within the second half. But the thing that I think Wayne Smith is going to be focusing on and watching, Wayne Smith being the Black Ferns coach, by the way, um, is how much an up-tempo, unstructured style of game. Absolutely flummoxed the Red Roses, England, within the first half hour of this match. Um, so the quick taps from penalties, the regular offload game, uh, both of those are things that the Black firms have the skill set and the uh, fitness to be able to execute, probably better than Fijiana were able to do, or at least more consistently than Fijiana were able to do. And the Red Roses really had no reply to that initially, until they were able to force a couple of errors, go to their line out, make the uh, set up a couple of malls push over for early for easy dominant tries i think new zealand are going to be bringing that to the match against england when they likely meet either within the semis or the finals moving forward
1: yeah it would be interesting to see how across this tournament how the styles and the plays that each team uh starts the their sort of style with does change and, and warp as the tournament wears on uh one of the things exactly. i wanted to say around this fiji team was uh, the Fijian flair that we've come to expect from the Fijiana and from the Fiji and any team playing for Fiji was very evident in this game. And mm-hmm. it's unfortunate they haven't had as many warm-up games as a team like England or, or France or some of the European-based teams because they had opportunities in that first half that I can count three or four times where they'd made a break, they'd made a line break and they were through and they were forcing the pass. The, 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 w- the winger or the fullbacks made the break uh, for England is chasing in cover defence they get tackled they needed to go to ground with the ball but they force the offload and it ends up finding hands to the England side team which just completely turns momentum around and mm. gives that it just stops that pressure that they were applying had they gone yep. to ground they then got an attacking um, breakdown in England's 22 pick and drive a few times and you're looking at potentially scoring a try there there was two or three times where Fiji were just a little bit too eager to get that offload away and to keep the ball alive when I think if we can see as they move forward in this competition if they can start to get that uh, awareness of when the right time to to get that offload to get the pass away when the right time to take the tackle and go go to ground um, they can be a dangerous team
0: definitely Definitely. So, um, one final thing I'll quickly say about the Scotland Wales match, just before we finish up with kind of some of our reviews, um, With this game, the Welsh backline was without a shadow of a doubt the more um, incisive and the more dangerous of the two. The thing that I think that the Wallaroos are going to struggle with with both teams is the in-tight power game. Um, I think that the Wallaroos struggle when um, teams kind of play one out or two out from the ruck and just use their forwards to kind of bash it up the middle. Um, If we can kind of, against Wales, try and maybe play with a bit more width that might well benefit us. And the same is going to be for Scotland. I think if we try and match it with them in the forwards uh, consistently across the whole game, we're going to struggle. Scotland definitely didn't have as much danger within their back line. So maybe trying to take it and target the wide channels might be more effective for us. Um, hopefully, though, we can be accurate with our execution. Um, and, yeah, just just commit in the middle channels because it's going to be a pretty tough and physical encounter this coming Saturday.
1: The thing that this test match, this game against Wales and Scotland has scared me about the Wallaroos coming up against both of these teams in the next two weeks is that we saw that both teams were willing to uh, hang in there and to keep applying pressure. Uh, it's yep. not something that the Wallaroos have really come, we've come to know or expect from them this year, that when they get behind on the scoreboard, they find it very difficult to either stay in touch with the opposition uh, and they often let them sort of run ahead. And that's what we saw this week against the Black Ferns. Both teams, Scotland did really well. Like Wales got out to a 15-0 lead and Scotland mm-hmm. did really well to sort of run them down and to keep with them and to keep applying pressures to to trust their basics, to trust the systems that they have in place. The Wallaroos are going to be tested by both of these teams. And as you said, Ando, they will be attritional battles that we probably haven't had the preparation for in the lead up to this tournament. So I don't, I'm not saying that the Wallaroos don't have a chance. I, I do think that we have... Uh, potentially like more flair in the back line, like you were saying, um, players that have the ability to sort of burst the game line, um, to pull something out of the bag that maybe the the Welsh and the Scottish don't quite have, but it is going to be a big ask for them to, yeah, to, to back that up two weeks in a row. But you always have B competitions in a World Cup if you want to get deep into the competition. So uh, exactly. there's always see. hope. Uh, Let's let's have a look at how the pools are looking at the end of the first weekend of competition. So Pool A sees New Zealand currently in top place. Uh, They are sitting on five points. We've got then Wales in second place on four points. Scotland got the bonus point. So they're on one point with Australia, unfortunately, sitting at the bottom of the log on zero points. Uh, It would have been great to come away with at least a bonus point because the top two teams get out of the pool automatically. And then uh, that doesn't mean if Australia doesn't get in the top two that they're not, they're completely out. There is still a chance, but it makes things a lot more difficult. Uh, going... It's the top
0: two from each pool and then the two next best placed teams on points. And if there is a tie, then it's the most competition points scored out of the tied teams.
1: Uh, if we go across to pool B, we've got Canada in first place on five points. We then have Italy also on five points, both with a win this weekend. And then USA and Japan sitting on zero points respectively. Pool C, England in top put, in top spot on five points. France also on five points. South Africa and Fiji on no points. So if we go back, uh, New Zealand really have a bit of an advantage at the moment in Pool A, being that they are the only one that has secured a bonus point, a winning bonus point. So they've got the five points, whereas Wales has only got the the winning point. Um, and Scotland have got the losing bonus points. So still a long way to go in this competition. will be interesting to see how things sort of shape up in the next few weeks. Completely agreed.
0: Uh, so why don't we now, I think, if we just quickly preview these two matches, yep. we've already spoken briefly about Scotland versus Australia, what we're expecting probably forward. Uh, focus from the Scottish and then the the is trying to maybe play with a bit more width if they can impose themselves physically upon that Scottish pack which will be a big challenge for them. Wales versus New Zealand is going to be a cracker of a match. I think both Scotland and Wales are going to be disadvantaged by the fact that the game went into the 85th minute and there were a couple of Scottish players um, that actually played the full 80 minutes. The hooker for Scotland, what was her name? Um, Lana Skelden, uh, Got to try it, actually. She played the full 86 minutes. And so it's going to be interesting to see whether she can back up and play and start for the next game, um, considering she's basically the starting, or well, their best hooker. And it's also so- interesting to
1: note that it's a six-day turnaround for Scotland now. So mm. Australia has the seven days. New Zealand has the eight days. So it, out of both of these these fixtures, New Zealand are the team that have the longest break between games. Yep. Um, yep. So it will be interesting for those that are tuning in and wanting to watch this Saturday, three PM our time kickoff. Uh, available both of these games on Stan. Not too sure at this point whether they will be showing uh, the second game of the comp, uh, this like the second Wallaroos game on uh, free to air or not.
0: Yep, brilliant. Well, um, I think mate, we can keep on going um and we're going to jump into the locker room now so i'll start off with the first one from craig at the lumber what needs to happen to make the Wallabies competitive consistently and what is the ideal next five years look like canada usa england new zealand away ahead of the pack the usa the recent change of tone towards college rugby leading to rugby world cup 32. we may well end up playing catch up in many ways so from that what do you think Needs to happen to make the Wallaroos competitive consistently. Is it as simple as you need to pay them professionally?
1: Uh, I think yeah, that's that's a start, and we need to create a system that's going to enable these players to develop and to get better. We currently don't really have that. The setup isn't doing the Wallaroos any favors in Australian rugby. They get selected for the Wallaroos, they then go back to their jobs, and come February March next year, they'll get together with their super sides and. They would have been training um, in that time between, but they're, they're not professionals, So train you can only train as much as you can without working a nine to five Monday to Friday uh, to, to really be competitive and to give, give them the biggest edge they possibly can. We need them working together as a cohesive unit in a system that's going to better their skills, better their development. And um, yeah, that's what yep. we need to do. And it, it's going to take a lot of money, but it's what Rugby Australia really needs to start focusing on if they want us to be competitive, especially coming around to that 2029 World Cup.
0: Yeah, I think so. And on that point, there's there's an element to which I would like Rugby Australia to take um, a bit of a, maybe, I'm not sure if it's Wallabies Top Ups is the equivalent or maybe Cricket Australia contracts that they do where um, players essentially employed to Rugby Australia. And so I would love us to have maybe, um, let's say, 10 to 15 full-time professional contract spots available and then a further 10 to 15 part-time contracts available that are maybe the equivalent of 15 to 20 hours a week or something like that for players. Um, And what that then would allow is a real core group of players and you target them specifically. You look for hooker, a lock, um, a number 8, a 9, 10, 15, That kind of like spine or centre of the team, having all those players being professionally contracted and then the rest of the squad and probably a tight head as well. um, And then the rest of the squad having um, that semi-professional or part-time payment to enable them to both train consistently at a good level, but also recognise that... That rugby Australia just doesn't have the money to be providing full-time professional contracts at this point for 30-plus players. So what's the best we can do? Hand pick full-time contracts and then have a wider part-time contracting system and then m- making sure that you're having a couple of players from each of the franchises that are on these so they can be also taking some of that skills, that experience and that expectation of professionalism back into their Super Rugby setups.
1: And I think what we'll see as well with that system, I I mentioned something similar last week or the week before when we were talking about how and what the pathway will be forward to that full professional model that's coming hopefully by 2025, I think RA said, but, you know, who knows. Um, That was a statement
0: that had no... um, roadmap for achievement and no criteria by which they were able to go it was literally judging
1: Is a checklist they'd said previously that we'll have an update by the world cup this year and so this was the update and the update was, was we don't so... have an update we have a dream we hope to we get have
0: there. our hope is to get there and i'm like no no, you need a roadmap. And then within that roadmap, you say, here are the challenges for us achieving it. But this is what we're going to be trying to achieve and have clarity around that. I was, I was really disappointed by that. And it was a non-media release as well by RA. It was yeah. leaked to um Caden Helmers, who's just moved up from Canberra to join the SMH team. He's not even one of the main rugby writers He's only just joined the staff. Like it's not even going through Georgina Robinson not yeah. totally decent anyway, or Tony Deason. Anyway, anyway, that's
1: a whole nother kettle of yeah. fish that we can be talking yeah. about all night. But um, uh, what I want to say around the the pathway through and by making certain players, like we've said, handpick those players that are going to be professional, you can then sprinkle that talent through Super W and across the the yep. the nation, really, and the teams that are available. What we currently have in Super Rugby uh, for the men's game, Super Rugby Pacific, with the professionalism, everyone's on a professional contract. You can't really say, go to Melbourne, go to Canberra, go to Queensland to certain players who might have a life set up in New South Wales or in, in Melbourne, vice versa. Whereas with yep. the women, I think if you had a player like Emily Chancellor, and we've sort of seen that through that conversation we had with her the other week, that she's going next year off her own back, not for a professional contract to England, purely taking that expense on her own to go over there, better herself because... In Australia, she'll get five, six, maybe eight games of Super W. She'll go over to England. She's already getting 27 or more games in a season. Uh, and that's just what we can't offer at the moment. So if you said to a player like Emily Chancellor, we'll pay you to be a professional player, but we need to, you to move to Perth, I think she would say, yep, done. I'll do it. Where do I sign? And off yep. she goes. And, that's and what if we players have, can't. Yeah, that's can't the do benefit that, we have. You go. Yep. You go. That's just yeah, the benefit and that, we that currently have. Yeah, that makes
0: sense. Yeah, that makes sense because it's it's a reflection of their desire for professionalism, a full time play. And if that doesn't work for some players, then you say to the Super Rugby teams, "All right, we're going to give you two this is like a scholarship essentially. We're going to give you enough money to professionally play two of your best players. um Let's talk about who that's going to be. Um, and this is going to be a partnership making that decision. Anyway, let's keep going. And that's
1: the pathway. Just we'll spent well. five minutes on the pathway. I just wanted to say before we move off, and I will ask the next question in a sec. That's the pathway because we do need. The Super W to be a fully professional competition by 2029. We can't yeah. have we can't have the Wallaroos going to a home World Cup in 2029 where there's not a professional backing below them. It's it's not going to happen. Definitely. There's no way that Definitely. we we can allow that to happen in Australia. Um right, Next question from Harrison Dale. What do we consider to be a positive result for the Wallaroos in Rugby World Cup, and why? And well,
0: what's yeah. Look, they they have to for it to be. Um, for it to be positive, the minimum has to be making the quarterfinals. That means you need to finish in the top eight, obviously, of the whole competition. I mean, there's there's 12 teams, so I would hope that we could be finishing in the top eight. Um, We're currently ranked seventh. Um currently ranked we are currently <laughs> ranked 7th so. This is true. Really, it's gonna it's gonna be hard though because we're in a challenging pool. Um, we're in a team. We're in a pool with some really good teams. Um, but the problem is I don't see us with the fact that we lost without getting a bonus point. I don't see us qualifying first or second within our pool. I think that's going to be really really challenging. So that means we're likely going to be finishing uh, playing England, France, or the Black Ferns again as our quarterfinal opponent because first place eighth, second place seventh, and and so on. So. If we, because of our loss without a bonus point, I don't see us getting past the quarterfinals um, at this point in time. So positive will be minimum quarterfinals if we can um, maybe have a really close result against one of those top three teams. That'd be that'd be impressive. But yeah, I'm gonna, they're running I'm the gonna pump. I'm going to
1: take the, the, the higher path here. And I don't think it's all as doom and gloom as you're saying. I think the Wallaroos have played their hardest game in the pool stages so far. Uh, th- they've played it. The Black Ferns are going to be the biggest competition for them. Uh, Scotland and Wales are beatable. We we can have a game star that will can beat them. It just depends if we can get a full 80-minute performance. The other positive that we have some real talent that wasn't involved in the 23 this week. We had the likes of uh, Piper Duck. We have the yep. likes of Mahalia Murphy, who didn't feature in this 23. So we know that those are players who have the ability to break games open and to score points. So it's not all as doom and gloom. I, I think that there is still a chance that we can get in the top two of the pool. Um, I don't put it past this team with the support that they've got with the likes of Shiny Williams and some of the Sevens girls that are uh, in this setup to get into the uh, the semis. So I'm going to say that a positive result would be a semi-final berth and we'll see if we can get there. Yep. Uh, next Fair question enough. comes to us from, I'm just going to have to move us around because I can't actually read it. Um, Andrew, <laughs> oh, I think I've <laughs> you skipped go back one. One. You skip uh, one. Hugh, 96, did any of the Wallaroos replacements push for a starting position?
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm going to say Laurie Kramer because of a kicking ability. We saw Arabella McKenzie unable to convert two of the wide tries um, that were scored by Tarita because this is not a slight on her. She didn't have the strength on her to be able to get the distance for the sideline conversions. Where Laurie Kramer is capable of those, um, has a bit of a longer boot on her. So I'd maybe be considering... Uh, sub- taking out Pauline Rasvale and then putting in Laurie Kramer at 15 to provide that kicking option.
1: That's a good chat. I don't really have anyone that's jumping out at me from the replacements. It's pushing, as we've sort of said uh, from the performance, the the impact off the bench wasn't what we were kind of hoping for and expecting. It didn't mm-hmm. really see us progress through the, uh, the, the great start that the the starting 15 really set the, the platform for the Wallaroos. So um, outside of Laurie Kramer, I think it was a bit hard to sort of highlight anyone in particular. Um, Andrew yeah. Ardle on Twitter asked, and he has sent in two questions, so thank you for getting involved, Andrew. Um, how do we clean up defence around the ruck? For me, the game turned when New Zealand started trucking up the middle, getting five to ten metres after contact for multiple phases in a row.
0: Yeah, look, that's a problem that um, the New South Wales Waratahs faced against Fijian and Drua, and then we also had that same problem in the games against the Black Ferns. Uh, in the lead up to it, as well as the Oceania Cup. So, look, the 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 Wallabies struggle with defence around Iraq. It's it's as simple as that. Um, I think part of it just comes from fitness and sharpness and the lack of game fitness that they've had over the last like three years. Yep. They haven't had that opportunity to develop um, the fitness and the response and that kind of just muscle memory and muscle movement to reload and get into the right position as quickly as they need to for international rugby. So it's i'm not sure if that's something that you can fix straight out so well i don't really have an leads answer us for that
1: perfectly one. into the second question that andrew asked and it is it looked like fitness was a real issue towards the back end of the game how do you see us managing for the whole competition also notice new zealand made yep. replacements much earlier than we did do we need to manage the bench differently
0: yeah, look, um, in terms of the front row, both sides did it roughly the same time. So Par Partu and Ediana Talakai both went off in a 48th minute, and then Philip Love and Luca Connor for the Black Ferns went off at the same time. Um the I think what might benefit us is maybe um looking for some of our back row changes. But then again, Grace Hamilton only got subbed off in the 63rd minute and she was immense. You wouldn't have taken her off any earlier as good as um, Grace Kemp is, although Grace Kemp did have a couple of errors and a couple of poor moments when she came onto the field. I actually think our subs were decent in terms of the timing of of their replacements i think that we need to keep it early probably within that around that 50th minute because we don't have the legs to last the full full 80 um i think basically empty the bench around the 50th minute um maybe maybe keep one loose forward and one utility back on the bench just in case of any injuries but yeah empty things by the 50th minute to give us a chance to kind of maintain momentum
1: Perfect. And last question comes from Abel Willing New Zealand and it's something we sort of touched on briefly just before but is making the quarters good enough? It's a 12-team tournament and this is saying top eight is good enough. You could finish third in your pool and you're still uh, more likely to make the quarters than not. I think the goal should be semis, surely. Um, that, that's what I was sort of alluding to as well previously. I think the Wallaroo should be highlighting the semis as their benchmark where they should be getting to but in re- like with the getting into the quarterfinals is not a bad um, outcome either
0: yeah and it's also just recognizing the challenges that the women have faced over the last few years i completely agree if we had a full-time professional team no making the quarters would not be good enough there yeah. i would have the expectation of going into the semis without a doubt um, and i appreciate obviously as a kiwi fan thanks for engaging uh, it's a little bit different because we don't have that full-time professional setup um with within the australian landscape. And so I think because we're the only amateur team within our pool, because we're probably going to be facing one of the top three teams, like England are now undefeated in the last 26 games. Um, it's it's a different kettle of fish that we're yeah. going to be going up against if we do end up playing them. Um, so I think whilst we can be aspirational, we also need to be realistic about the situation and the landscape of women's rugby in Australia at this point in time.
1: Okay. Well, I think that brings us to the a yep. close on our first episode of Pick and Drive Rugby World Cup Edition. Thank you for everyone who has gotten to this point. If you are listening to the podcast, Keep listening and you will see that we do have a little bit more content <laughs> coming. Um, yep. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for getting involved that way. Uh, do leave us a comment and anything you'd like us to talk about next week. But also go and check out the podcast as well because we're now going to talk about Australia A. Eh? And we've got some good questions coming from the fans around that and the Wallabies spring tour selection issues that have sort of highlighted themselves. Thanks everyone for getting to this point. Thanks Ando for tuning in again um yeah we'll do it all again next week and go the wallaroos
0: looking forward to it catch you team
1: bye Bye. if you're joining us on the podcast thank you for sticking with us we're going to dive into the australia a game against the japan 15 now and uh this game was played on saturday afternoon in japan uh in futuoka uh the final score was 22-21 to Australia A and in a lot of ways it was uh it was really good to see Tain Edmed step up and get that penalty right on full a conversion clutch. was conversion, it a penalty or yeah. conversion? conversion conversion right on full time after the way he finished the shoot-shield season earlier this year missing a shot from in front to get into the grand final so great to see Tain Edmed nail that one um but across the whole Australia A game who really stood out to you this weekend
0: I thought Billy Pollard was excellent getting a run on start for um, Australia A. He w- he's been one of those players that's kind of talked up uh, within the Brumbies setup as the Brumbies just continues to produce quality Wallabies hookers. Um, and he he did really well. He's fast. He's energetic. He's a presence in the turnover. He's good ball carrier. Stronger defence. Like I was I was really really happy with him. Uh, he's but pretty also much too without the driving issues. Yeah, without the drink driving issues. And hopefully Tolly's done with that as just as an aside. But anyway. Um, and then also I thought Ned Hannigan was really good. Now, obviously, I have a love affair with Ned Hannigan. Um, him coming on a pod a few weeks ago was one of the highlights of my rugby career so far. Um, but I thought he was really, really energetic, had a really big motor for the whole game, actually took over as captain, I believe, after Ryan Ornigan was subbed off in a 71st minute. Um, and, yeah, he had a really good impact both um, kind of in some of the dirty work in the malls and hitting uh, and hitting rucks, but also as a line-out option too. So those were two players that I was quite impressed with. Uh,
1: I was really impressed with uh, Tane Edmund. I thought he had a good... Good performance this week. Uh, it's it'll be interesting. We'll talk about it a little bit later. Particularly in the locker room, people asking comparing Donaldson and Ed Med. Uh, I'm probably sort of leaning more towards uh, Donaldson's performance last week as being a little bit more impactful across the whole team. But in saying that, both guys were very serviceable at ten. Uh, yep. Both looked like they were leading their team around really well, taking the right decision at the right time, and get, and nailing their basics, which was what we based. It's all we asked for at the moment. From uh, a 10 or a fly half in the australian setup uh yeah. one player that uh, i'll flip flip it over to the japan 15 and you can't go past michael leach the guy he's is insane like, he's so good how old is he i don't know but he's playing like he's 21 and he's just showing everyone else up he just gets better and better with age
0: yeah i'm just quickly getting his stats up now um for his kind of bio and and alike um he is born in 1988 so he's 35 wow um cuz he's a year younger than me so yeah he's 35 um He he was just immense. His involvement, both in attack in terms of the quality of his carriers, but also his defensive involvement, turning over the ball, um, his impact upon the rucks, just blasting players out of the way. This was a good Japan team, and they were led incredibly well by Michael Leach. But a player that we haven't mentioned so far, returning from injury, Tom Banks. Is it just me, or is he faster than he was before he got injured?
1: Well, he's got a few less bones in his arms, so he probably has a few less kilograms to lug around the field.
0: Except, except for the adamantium that he had, um, kind of strapped onto both arms, welded forearms. across his forearms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
1: no, he, he had a really good he had a really good game, and so did Jock Campbell as well. Both guys, mm. and you know, Jock Campbell got actually was it halftime they swapped them, half-time. or was it just half-time. after half-time? halftime? Halftime. So they got forty minutes each, and both guys scored a really good individualistic try. Uh. Banks was probably the try that we needed at that time. Like it really lifted Australia A and it really um, sort of lifted the spirits and and got the team cohesive again. But the the try that Jock Campbell scored as well was no no easy feat either. And both of those guys look like really good options in the 15 jersey. It will be interesting to see what happens and we'll talk about it a little bit later in the locker room with some of the questions and looking towards the spring tour. But they're both in completely different scenarios. One going off to Japan to sort of end his eligibility with Australian rugby. The other sticking with the Reds, a young up-and-comer who has been around. <laughs> Not so young. Not so Not young. So he's young. Like
0: 27 no. or something like that.
1: But in terms of his experience with the Wallabies, mm. he's relatively mm. inexperienced. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um let's not touch on that point now just because yep. it will come up later with the locker room. Um but this was this was a really pleasing game for me just because again um it showed the value of having these tour games after the club season after the Super Rugby and Rugby Championship has finished because it's providing that next level of player with the opportunity to step up as well as some returning wallabies with further game time and further yep. opportunity to get um, kind of, yeah, runs under the boots, whatever that phrase is. Runs Um, on the board. or Runs on the board, yeah, 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 that stuff. Um, But at the same time, it's also giving them, like in in this match, we had the referee with some really odd calls, particularly within the second half, like some of them which were just blatantly wrong. Um, (laughs) Like he was, by the letter of the law, just wrong in what he was saying um, with with a couple of the calls that he's made, Um, but also you've, translation and communication issues that'll be coming through within it too uh you got a an international um venue and international kind of experience that the players are going through at a very high level against what was essentially the japanese national team there are a few players out with injuries but People who have followed Japanese rugby pretty closely said this was pretty much their first team. And so it's just really great for these players to be getting this higher level of experience. And and if we can be continuing with this and maybe even expanding the Australia A opportunities moving forward, then it's a good initiative from Rugby Australia when they don't seem to be able or willing to implement something like the NRC. And even then, the quality of this is higher than the NRC anyway. So th- there is that benefit. The
1: it. only the only fear I have and the, the question I have around the like this being that solution to the NRC mm. or the alternative is uh, it's very much like a Barbarians team. And we saw between last week and this week particularly, and we didn't see it as much in the Pacific Nations series earlier this year, but this series particularly, we're making changes for the sake of giving players game time. So Ed Med plays this week, Donaldson plays last week. Uh, We see uh, Banks get come on at halftime. So he gets 40 minutes. Jock Campbell played well last week at 15 and he gets 40 minutes this week. In terms of cohesion and building um, a cohesive unit and getting these guys to develop combinations together so that if they get selected for the Wallabies, if they were to take that next step up, I don't think Mm -hmm. we're doing them a whole lot of favors by chopping and changing as much as we are. Um, there are positions that it is working well for. So the second row, for example, uh, Caden Neville and Nick Frost have played big minutes, both games last week and this week. But when we look at the centers, we look at the outside backs, we look at the fullback. These guys, when we're chopping and changing so much, we're giving them an exposure to this level, but by the very nature of it, it's a Barbarians team and we've got players coming in. Like Sarah Uru came on in this game uh, in the second half and he didn't play badly at all but we have ha- haven't seen him play at this level since i think the last uh, Australia A game um in the Pacific Nations Cup so you do need to rotate more so in an Australia A environment than you would if this was just like the wallabies um yep. and i yep. don't know yep. if that necessarily will be beneficial in the long term
0: yeah, look, um, I, I hear that concern. And for this particular three-match series, that makes sense because it's right before the squad selection for the spring tour. Yeah. So um, in that regard, I get the concern. I think for the Pacific Nations Cup, um, it, we didn't see it as much, like yeah. you were saying. And so I don't I don't have that same concern for that level. I think it might just be, if, if we continue to play these games at this time of year, it's just, it'll just be a regular feature that we'll probably see some level of rotation um, in order to see particular players returning from injury or stepping up to make that world. This selection. I
1: guess what, what I'm saying is what I would love to see and we need to utilize it a little bit better is that at the moment we know that our starting when everyone's fit our starting fly half and number nine combination is Nick White and Quade Cooper. Yep. Step back from that it's probably Nick White uh, sorry it's probably Jake Gordon and uh, geez who who would you say Bernard Foley Noah, at the Noah. moment or Noah no, Alessio? Yeah, Noah, Noah Lesio. Then say say Noah. Yep. Um, in Australia, a we need to be developing the combinations between Tate McDermott or uh, Ryan Lonigan with yeah, yeah. Tane Edmed and and Donaldson, so that in a yep. situation that has arisen, Noah Lesio say for example gets concussion in the first week of training on the Spring Tour, um, mm-hmm. we're slotting in Donaldson or Edmed. They yep. haven't played much with Nick White, so I'm just saying to utilize this system better. We need to pick and stick with those combinations so that they're ready to go with 6, seven, eight, nine, 10 caps of Australia A under their belt playing together with that, yep. that level. We should be seeing Tate McDermott. Well, all I'm saying is we probably yeah, should be I seeing Tate agree. McDermott playing yep. in this series like we're seeing Sulia Ivanovali. Oh,
0: and particularly like we're seeing um, Nick Frost. So Nick Frost was with the Wallabies basically the entire time for the rugby championship. He even got a game. Um, But Tate McDermott only got the one match um, in the rugby championship, I think, if that's correct. Yeah, the Argentina Um, game. Yeah, so he only got the one game. And yet he is without a doubt within a top three of the scrum halves. So why aren't we having him and a Ryan Lonegan combination as the two scrum halves for each of the Australia A games, um, knowing that they're the next two cabs off the rank. And whilst I like um, James Tuttle, I think he, I think he's a good player, uh, he's not anywhere near Wolby's selection. So it should be McDermott and um, Lonegan.
1: It who, wasn't who Tuttle are, that came on this week either, was it? It was No, the, it was Teddy Wilson. Yeah, Teddy Wilson, who's a development player. Development Waratars player. He's not even yeah. making the Waratars 23 at the moment. So,
0: yeah. Nope. Nope. And he won't be with Harrison Goddard uh, yeah, in the squad definitely. now as well. So, anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway. Um, why don't we jump into the locker room? Because we did have a couple of questions related to the Australia A game. So, the first one uh, came from Q96 as well, who asked, Who gets the pick and drive nod of approval to go on the spring tour? Donaldson or Edmed? Uh, why not have both? Um, I think for me, it's probably, oh God, that's a hard question, isn't it? Uh, I think we split
1: it 50-50. I'll go with Donaldson and you go with Ed Med. And then we both, if either gets chose, they've got the pick and drive approval.
0: I was going to say Donaldson. Okay. Um, well, I,
1: I was going to say Donaldson as well. So then it looks like mm. Donaldson gets our, our pick. Purely from this week, I thought Donaldson had a little bit better... Uh, game awareness and was putting some kicks in behind and, and utilising the space in the backfield more so than Edmed was this week. Uh, but in saying that, Edmed played a lot, uh, was selected over Donaldson towards the end of the season for the Waratahs.
0: Yeah. Donaldson had a slower start um, at the in, in the first half of his game, but he then worked into the game really, really well and I think was more influential within the second half. Yep. Edmed, I think, was more consistent at a good level but didn't reach the same heights apart from his clutch kick at the end uh, that Donaldson did. I think with the preference that um, the Waratahs had towards Donaldson when he was fit, I'd probably be suggesting that it's Donaldson that goes on tour, um, particularly because, I mean, they'll both have a good connection with Jake Gordon if they end up playing with him. Um, although realistically, neither of them's likely to get a look in. Um, I don't think either player, if they do go, is going to feature. Oh, I, I maybe would not be Italy. surprised
1: if they take Noel Alessio and, and Donaldson as the two fly halves for this spring tour. I don't think Bo- Foley uh, serves. Mate, us. Foley's going.
0: Foley's going.
1: I don't think they would not have put we, in that time if he's not going to go. I don't think so. I don't think Rennie will. Um, the other th- All right. The other comment okay. I was going to say is that Donaldson's already been selected and spent some time with the Wallabies, whereas Edmed mm. hasn't. Yep. So that maybe yep. goes to show which player Rennie prefers. Yep. Agreed.
0: Um, okay, cool. And then do you want to go through our final uh, question there?
1: Yeah. So Jane, I thought we had one more, but maybe not. Um, Jane asked, has Vunuvalu got what it takes? Look, um, sh- he has, he has the raw attributes, right? And I don't think anybody has ever doubted
0: that he's just been so injury plagued that he hasn't injury plagued that he hasn't had the time to develop those immediate kind of skills and reactions that are required within rugby union. Um, And so you see that within his performances where he's caught out of position slightly on defense, where he gets completely flummoxed when a rock forms around him and he doesn't exactly know where to go or when the ball kind of starts, when when things get a little bit of chaos, chaotic, and he doesn't really know where to be or what to do. And it's hard to define what that looks like, but simply to say, just watch him and his actions aren't as immediate as other players around him, if that makes sense. Um, so I think him getting these three games is super valuable for his development. Um, and I think because of his, I, th- I said it last week, because of his, like his growth potential, it's worth sticking with, particularly for the third game. But I think if he doesn't show it in the third game, or if he does get time on a spring tour in his, in his games on the spring tour, he shouldn't be in his contention for her. The biggest
1: issue I I find with Munovalu is the fact that we signed him on millions of dollars. Like the amount that Rugby Australia paid to have him Mm. is what makes everyone think he's going to be amazing. And he has the potential, as you said, to be amazing. He's just been so injury prone that he hasn't gotten that time and he hasn't adjusted well to the 15-man code. And he's been playing or he's been involved with the Wallabies and he's been involved with Australia A. but he's been, you know, tackling and training. He's not been playing. Uh, If the situation was that Vunuvalu was just a player like Jock Campbell or uh, like Noonga Nidawasi, for example, he's probably not getting picked realistically. He's probably not getting picked in this next 23. Uh, The fact is that we've spent so much money. He's a marquee signing. He's come across from league. He has the potential to be fantastic. We have spent all this money on him. He needs every second that he can get. Uh, on a rugby field between now and the end of 2023, just so we know mm-hmm. what he can bring. The problem is he hasn't got the basics covered yet. And we need then need to start asking, what is the point? Do we start hindering the development of a player like Dylan Peach or uh, Mark Nwanganidawasi for the sake of Vunuvalu getting game time? Now, Dylan Peach and Nwanganidawasi aren't in Wallaby's frames aren't going to make a World Cup uh, squad in 2023. They shouldn't at their current level of development, but they should be getting game time in Australia, A, because they should be ready for a Wallabies Mm -hmm. call-up at the end of 2023 or the beginning of 2024. If we don't give them that time because we're trying to give it to Sully, then that's where the issue arises. And the money's gone down the drain. We're not getting return on investment. He's not developing as a player. And it's just another one of those situations where rugby Australia looks like a bit of a clown.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, I I agree with all you said there. It's, it's a challenging situation, but hopefully he can turn on and show us what we all believe he's capable of in this coming. What I would like Um, to see
1: next week, just (laughs) for the third game, I think I would actually like to see Marky Mark start and bring Sully off the bench and let him know that you need to have an impact. So go looking for the ball. Yep. Don't overtry. That's the big thing, but go go, go looking for, for it.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, mate. I think we've answered that question and there's been enough chat around Silly over the last few weeks that I think we can move on from there.
1: Yep. Anything else that you
0: wanted to touch on before we finish up? No, just
1: thanks everyone for getting involved with the podcast. Yeah, um I yeah, was going to mention it at the start and I forgot, but I'll bring it up now. We were we did have plans to start up a tipping comp for the Rugby World Cup, the Women's World Cup, and only remembered that I hadn't started up on Superbrew after I think it was even when the Wallaroos game had kicked off. So we were already three games (laughs) deep and by that point it was too late. So sorry for everyone for not getting that up and running, but uh, we will do one for the spring tour uh, and we will, uh, yeah, get involved with that and look out on our socials for when that does come up and is uh, available to join.
0: Brilliant. And a final thing I wanted to quickly say, uh, next time you watch an Australia A game with Justin Harrison commentating... Uh, Just notice the little growl that he puts onto the start of every single statement or comment that he makes. He's like, and Australia getting through the gap there. Just watch it. I picked it up this weekend and noticed his little tendency for it. And I can't, I can't stop hearing it every single time. So you ruined it for
1: everyone. Thanks.
0: Yeah. There we go. Everybody watch the little growl and the depth of his voice every time he's doing the commentating. And it's usually kind of when he's, when he's getting excited and he's hyping up the game, Uh, not, not in the, uh, halftime analysis or anything like that. So there you go, everybody. I've just ruined her, um, Guggs is commentating for you. You're
1: welcome. (laughs) Thanks everyone. We'll uh, be back (laughs) next week for, I don't know what else to say to that. Um, I, I have, I have heard that. I do know what you're saying. I have heard it. So it does spring to mind. Uh, it will now jump to the foreground every time I listen to him commentate, but thanks everyone for getting this point in the pod. Uh, if you are listening to us on the podcast, do check us out on, uh, uh, YouTube as well, because, That was fun doing that for the World Cup. We'll do it again next week and for the rest of the games for the Wallaroos. Thanks for getting involved and we'll see you next week. Catch you. Bye. Bye.
0: Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved in sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi-coffee.com slash rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod.